Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 190. Today, we are discussing the Riverdale pilot episode. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that we have an Unabridged Ambassadors program. This is a great way to get more involved with Unabridged. We have so much fun with our ambassadors. They, We have a group where we can all chat, and they do a lot to share things and give us ideas for things like Give Me One topics, and so we just have a lot of fun with them. If you're interested in learning more about that program, you can go to unabridgedpod.com slash ambassadors, and we'd love for you to sign up. So for our discussion today, Jen and Sarah are actually the ones talking about Riverdale. So I should just say that I actually am not part of that conversation, but I'm excited to hear their thoughts. But we all wanted to share our bookish check-in before they let us know what they thought about Riverdale. So Sarah, would you like to share what you're reading? Sure. I am reading The Kitchen Front by Jennifer Ryan. And this book was sent to me by Random House. I am absolutely loving it. It is such a charming book. It is about these four women. They're living in Britain two years into World War II. And each of them is experiencing the war in a different way. But what I really love about this book is that I've read a lot of World War II historical fiction. And this book focuses first on women and also on the food rations that occurred during that time. And actually that went long after the war was over. And so this book is about a radio show called The Kitchen Front, hosted by a male commentator. And they decide, shockingly, that they need a woman, a woman's voice on this show. So what they do is they create this competition for women who are using rations for the war to create their best dishes to help give home cooks and the women that were not fighting and not involved in the war effort, but they were staying home with to take care of their children, trying to give them ideas about what to do with these rations. And it is just a lovely story. Like I said, it centers on four women and it's an alternating perspective. So each chapter switches perspectives. They come from a broad range of backgrounds and their life circumstances are different. It's just really, really good. And I did a combo of reading the book that Random House sent me. And I also was able to get the audio from my library. And so I switched back and forth and both experiences were excellent. I will say in the print book, there are recipes that correspond with what's going on in the the book throughout. And you miss out on that if you are listening to the audio, but the audio narration is great. So I am really enjoying this. I think it is excellent. And I love this perspective about women during the war effort, what they were doing and how they were taking care of things while the men were fighting. And I just think it's great. So that is The Kitchen Front by Jennifer Ryan. I love that, Sarah. I hadn't heard of that one, but it sounds really interesting. 
That sounds great. I really loved it. It's nice to get a new perspective. We've talked about before the fatigue of certain eras of history and the way they've been written about so often, but that sounds like a new perspective, which is cool. Well, I really like the way that it is female centered and Mm -hmm. there are men in the periphery that these women have connections to, but what it's really about, I mean, it's about, it's basically a story about found family and you know how I like that anyway. And I just love these strong women that are represented. And even though they're living in a time that's really traditional and patriarchal, they're paving their own way. So I really like it. Nice. Great. What about you, Jen? What are you reading? So I'm going to talk about one that I finished right before we started recording. So this is a small cheat. This is Susan Abelhawa's The Blue Between Sky and Water. And this is my second buddy read with read with Tony on Instagram for this author. The first book I read of hers is Mornings in Janine. And I also read Against the Loveless World and reviewed that one at unabridgedpod.com. And this third book just cements Abohawa as an auto-read author. She is amazing. So she is writing predominantly about Palestine. This one, The Blue Between Sky and Water, looks at four generations of Palestinians. You see them losing their homeland and living in a refugee camp. And as the generations continue some one part of the family moves to the United States and the rest are staying in Palestine. And so you see how they're dealing with separation. The character I find most compelling is Noor and she grows up in the United States. Her father dies when she's very young and there's a custody battle between her grandfather. He's the one who moved there with his family from Palestine And her mother, who basically is wanting to have custody for reasons, for money, for financial reasons, instead of actually caring for her. And so she is this lost character who really finds herself when she finally returns to Palestine. There's also, this is sort of a spoiler, so I don't want to give it away, but there's a really interesting narrator of the story which includes, I would call it magical realism. There's a spiritual element in the first generation of the family with one of the daughters who dies very young. And she is this presence through the rest of the book. And then there's a narrator who furthers that sort of magical realism, which I think is really lovely and really enriches the story. So I I loved it. I love multi-generational sagas. I love reading about parts of the world that I want to know more about. I feel like This one is not about communicating information, but of course, just by reading about the experiences of this family, I'm learning a lot. So I really love it. Uh, Tony always picks good books and I'm looking forward to our discussion at the end of this one. So that is The Blue Between Sky and Water by Susan Abelhawa. I love that. I think multi-generational books are such a great one to do with buddy reads because I also really find them satisfying, but a lot of times I also find them intimidating to start. And so it's nice to have a little nudge to help you dig in. Yeah. I will also say this is the shortest of the three books by her that I've read. It's not even quite 300 pages, which another one like that intimidation factor, I think it packs in a lot of story and a fairly compact book. So I really, yeah, she's a great author. I think both of you would enjoy her. 
Ashley, what are you reading? So one of the books that I am reading right now is Case and Calendar's Felix Ever After. This one has been on my TBR since it came out, and I've been really excited to read it and just hadn't made the time. And I'm actually listening to it on audio, and the audio is excellent. So this is about Felix, who is at an elite art school for high school, and he is navigating his way there and he has a great friend ezra but he's still struggling with the dynamics of the school a lot of the kids there are very privileged they have a lot of money and opportunities and felix's situation is that his dad is working very hard for him to be there on scholarship and so he's really conscious of those differences and the tension that that causes he's also glad to have a fresh start and he is a trans boy he is proud of his identity but he also is eager to have people see him for who he is and so in a lot of ways starting in a new place he feels that it's fresh and he's glad for that but very early on in the book there is an expose of sorts where someone who he does not know who has done this posts a series of images of him using his dead name and all of these old photos of him before his transition. And so just a really malicious act and something that catches him off guard. And so that's about where I am in the book is that that has occurred. The school is trying to figure out how to navigate this really hateful act that has happened. And he is trying to find his way. And prior to that incident, you know that Felix didn't want to keep those photos, but they had been in this sort of private Instagram gallery. And he only kept them because his dad really wanted him to keep them. His dad also still uses his dead name. He doesn't want to. Felix feels like his dad is kind of accepting, but then there are these things that make him feel as if his dad's not as accepting as he wants him to be. And yet his dad has done a lot of things to help him with the transition, even the parts that are expensive, even the parts that are hard to navigate. His dad's been helping him. So he has really complicated feelings with his dad. All of that's leading up to this moment that, again, is very early on in the book, but that really shakes him up, that he feels vulnerable and exposed. And also he doesn't know who has done this thing, but it clearly was done to be hurtful. So I am loving it. I love his character. I think he is really interesting. And I also love seeing his friendships develop and the way that people help him through as that happens early on. And so I can't wait to see where the book goes from there. So again, that is Case and Calendar's Felix Ever After. That sounds so good. That's been on my list too. Yeah, it's one that I've heard such great things about and had wanted to read. So I'm really excited to get to it. We are going to transition into Jen and Sarah's discussion. So they watched the Riverdale pilot episode and wanted to share with you all their thoughts about that. We always enjoy doing screen adaptations and we hope you enjoy their discussion. Hello, everyone. We are here today with the pilot of Riverdale. Riverdale has been adapted from the popular Archie comic series that has been going on for a long, long time. And Jen and I are here today to talk about and recap the pilot with you. So let's start off with what are your overall impressions of the show? 
So I think it's a really strong pilot. Okay, so I've watched season one and that's it. So this was my second time through the pilot and it's been a while since I watched it, but I think it's a really strong pilot. I think it plays in really interesting ways with the characters from the original Archie comic series. And I really like, there's this noir feel that it is building with Jughead sort of narrating the whole thing as he's writing this story that I think is really compelling. I think it is packed full of interesting subplots and storylines. And so it felt like it moved really quickly. It did not feel like a normal hour show. So yeah, I think it's, I don't know that I love it. Like I think we talked about the 100 recently. I think that's a stronger pilot overall for me, but I think this is a really solid pilot. I think a lot of times shows are still finding their footing and this one has like a confident tone and I think it does a lot of things right to launch a good series. So how about yeah. you? What's your overall impression? Well, well, something that listeners may not know about me and you might not know about me <laughs> is growing up, I was an Arthy, uh, Arthy, an Archie comic, <laughs> an Archie comic enthusiast. And uh, my dad would take me to this antique mall with him and he would buy me stacks of vintage Archie comics and my sister and I would devour them. And then when we would go to the grocery store, we would get also the double digests, which are smaller, but thicker and have more stories in them. So I, I was totally, I totally loved the Archie world that was in the comics and I just loved reading about them. I guess that was, that was my, my first introduction to the love triangle, you know? <laughs> so, so when I heard this, that, Archie comics were going to be adapted. I was so excited mm -hmm. and I was so excited to watch Riverdale. And I watched, when I watched the first episode a couple of years ago, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a totally different thing than the Archie comics that I grew up with. But I really liked the pilot. I thought it did a really good job of introducing all the central characters. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was like you said, chock full of drama. I, and I do, I did enjoy the hat tips to the, the actual comics. So like mm -hmm. Jughead's crown hat and, and at one point Veronica calls Archie Archikins and you, that might've seen a little out of, like out of left field on the show. Yeah. But as a, an Archie fan, I know that that's what Veronica called him in the book. I mean, in the comics a lot. So, uh -huh. so I just enjoyed those little hat, tip, hat tips to the comics, but they are quite different and yeah. I enjoy both. So I, I really liked the pilot. I thought it was really compelling and mm -hmm. dramatic. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what, what is, what are the things that are working for you with this pilot? So I think, again, I think Jughead and the way they're setting up him up as sort of this outsider looking into the main action is really compelling. There's a sense that he's going to become more a part of the plot with that interaction between him and Archie toward the end. But I really, I like an unreliable narrator. And so you get that sense that he's someone who's of the story, but trying to sort of stay out of it sort of shaping it for himself. So I think that character is really good. I really like Veronica. I think the actress who plays her, which I'm going to have to look up, is it Camilla, Camilla Mendez, I think. Is that right? I think so. I think she is really good. I think she is a strong actress. And I think they're doing great things with that 
yeah, Camilla Mendes. They're doing great things with that character to show her as someone who in episode one, you can already see that she's someone who has changed in response to things that have happened to her. So I think those are probably the things I like most. Oh, and I really like that noir feel. I really like that sense that we're back in like this 40s or 50s private investigator or detective. Uh, yeah, that sort of wry. I, I would do my impression of those detectives' voices and the things they say, but I would make a fool out of myself. But you know, like the same space. <laughs> I wish like you that, would. <laughs> I'm sure that you do. <laughs> it would be really bad. I would have to practice. But yeah, I really like, I like that sense of things playing with that noir, the, those noir tropes that we see pop up throughout the episode. So yeah. yeah, how about you? What are some of the things that really work for you? So I think over the, just the overall tone of the show really works for me. I mean, even in the pilot, that first scene with Cheryl and Jason kind of setting up the mystery, which was weirdly incestuous yes <laughs> had an incestuous it is disturbing not that i like yes. that but that it's disturbing <laughs> it was both repulsive and compelling here for and- two confessions from sarah Voigt. sorry <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i really like i thought that it did a great job of being like what is happening with these yeah these kids what it i mean what is the deal and then like the weird like way they were dressed all in white and in like an old-timey boat it was just really bizarre, it's very but strange. also really like, what is happening here? And I need to know more. So I thought they do a really good job of setting up the mystery. And I also think kind of going to what you said, I think Cole Sprouse and Camilla Mendez, Jughead mm-hmm. and Veronica, I think that they are really, like they do a really good job with their roles. And yeah. they are probably some of the strongest actors in terms of the younger Mm-hmm. Uh, the younger actors on the show, in my opinion. So I think they do a great job of elevating the stories that they're involved in. So I yeah. really like that. And I'm trying to think, I mean, I think that those are the things that really work are just the overall tone. And mm-hmm. I like, and like I said, and when I was talking about what I liked overall, I like those hat tips to the comics. Yeah. I'm always looking for those. Those are fun. They're like little gifts that you can just find. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think when you like pop culture, that is really interesting to watch this show because there are so mm-hmm. many things that that kind of harken back to something else in pop culture, which yeah. I like. Mm-hmm. I agree. What are some things that are not working for you? <laughs> <laughs> so we talked recently about the 100 for Patreon, the pilot of that show. And one of the things I really liked about that is the fact that I don't think it's your typical CW show that is only aimed at a younger audience. And I think this one bridges that gap too, but there are some scenes. Okay. So there's one scene where Archie is putting on a shirt in front of a window Smack dab in front of the window. Holding Don't you do phone. that? <laughs> I know. Nobody, nobody does that. He is like squared off looking at his phone so you can see his six pack, which is a great six pack. But I'm like, unless he's like <laughs> screaming at Betty, hey, look at my body. Nobody does that. And so I was like, okay, so this is just pandering to this young audience. And then, so I talked about Veronica's character as being a thing that works. When Archie and Veronica are in the closet at Cheryl's party after the dance, I believe that Archie might have made out with Veronica because you can tell from the moment she walks into the chocolate shop that he is really attracted to her. I do not believe based on the character that they've developed for Veronica that she would have done that to Betty. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think she would be that swept away by Archie's beautiful 
face and body and that he's just so charismatic that she can't help herself. And so I felt like that was a moment where they betrayed this character that they'd been building so well to have a moment that would appeal to an audience who needs somebody to make out in the first episode other than, other than Archie and his teacher. Uh, so yeah. So I just, there were a couple of those moments that I was like, you don't have to lean so hard into your teen audience. It's okay. Like I think there's the story itself is strong enough that I think it could have done it without that. So I don't know. How about you? What didn't work for you? I agree. I agree with those assessments. I also thought that the illicit affair between Mrs. Grundy and Archie seemed both far fetched and Mm -hmm. just really unnecessary. And also like not very secretive. I mean, it's like they're trying to live, but not very, but they're not being secretive. And then they're really bad at keeping a secret. They're really bad at keeping. I mean, yeah. And the whole thing, I mean, and like, I just want to acknowledge that I understand that the show is trying to be campy and I enjoy Mm -hmm. that, that campiness and the, the, um, the banter and all of that stuff Mm -hmm. and the kind of corny jokes at times. I enjoy all that. And I understand that those are choices that are being made. Like they, they, the, that they're not ex- accidental. And I like right. that. But the scene of her like rolling up to the oh work gosh. site with the heart sunglasses on and the broad daylight and like picking up this oh. kid. I'm like, this is so, I mean, if yeah. there was going to be some illicit affair, this is not the way that most people, I mean, it's just so not secretive. Yeah. And then they're yearning looks across the gym and I that don't last forever. I know. <laughs> And are not secretive at all. Like yeah. if anyone were paying any bit of attention, they would be like, why are they staring at each other? It's, and it's weird. I mean, and it just, it just feels like that storyline is there to amp up the drama when it doesn't need to. Yeah. And like also to, to create a plot device where Archie had heard the gunshots and was at the lake. But I mean, there could have been another, a total other host of things yeah. that could have been, except him like, getting busy with his teacher. I just did not, like, <laughs> I just did not like that at all. So I agree. That was something that didn't work for me. I just, and the weird relationship between Jason and Cheryl, I think Cheryl is a super compelling, a super compelling character. And I think that the actress, is it Madeline Petch? Catch something like that. I'm not sure how to say it. P E T S C H. Yes. So she, I think she does a great job with Cheryl. And yeah. I mean, especially her scenes with Ver- Veronica, I think that they do great verbal sparring. I think that they do a great job, but um, that I am a little bit put off by her relationship with her brother. And also the weird way that she both, I, li- I like this part, but I, but it's weird how she both, acts like she is in this grief but also uses his death to her advantage to be like the queen of the weird so the, the banners weird at the dance the yeah all of that is <laughs> it's all of it's far-fetched but i mean i think she's great but also i would say so if we're talking about what doesn't work i just am uncomfortable by the the way that they set up that weird yeah. relationship between her and her brother i agree because mm-hmm. she also calls him her soulmate in front of the whole school, which is really bizarre to me. <laughs> it's very strange. It's very strange. And he looks really weird. Yeah. Like a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. 
So there's, there's, but I mean, overall, I have to say that it works, that, that the show works for me. Yes. Like, I think it does a great job of, I mean, I just think it's a really smart adaptation. I mean, mm-hmm. I, mean I think that it could, I, th- I think that it was smart to go in the way of making it totally different from the source material, yeah. but still paying homage to those things from the source material that are iconic for people who love the Archie series yeah, so I, I think that yeah so i think it does a, it does a really good job so that being said what are some of like what is your favorite scene or scenes or something that just kind of really sticks out to you from the show i mean this goes along with the whole jughead telling the story or narrating the story i really like the banter and the dialogue and just the writing i think is really strong like at, well, i think it's jughead who says a new mystery rolled into town and he just, again, is just playing into those, but it's so, so clever. Like you can believe he is a kid who has read those books and is parodying them to tell the story of this mystery in his town. Mm-hmm. Just the whole, yeah, the whole aesthetic is really cool. I think too, like you were talking about it playing into the things from the Archie comics. Like at one point somebody says Archie swell, like yeah. they just will like drop in those moments of old fashioned language or playing up the old fashioned names that I think really, really work. And I really like to the relationship between Betty and Veronica. Mm-hmm. I like that they chose not to make them enemies, but to, yeah, to play against the idea that the two pretty girls who are opposites have to be enemies. Right. Now I don't know what happens in season two. Maybe they become enemies then, but in the parts that I've watched, I really like that. Yeah. So, same. Anyway, how about you? What are some of your favorite favorite things, scenes, whatever? So I like uh, we talked about the banter a little bit, and I like those. I like some of those moments of corny jokes and banter, mm-hmm. like Josie from Josie and the Pussycat Dolls calls Archie Justin Ginger Lake, <laughs> and then Kevin when Kevin and Betty are in her room in the first scene in Betty's house at the beginning of the episode. And Archie's doing that thing with that you were talking about that you hated with the abs and the phone. Well, Kevin's looking out the window and he's like, take that ginger bull by the horns. I just think it's funny. Like I know that's a great line delivery. Yes, he really does. And I, you know, I just think that I like those things. I like the scene between Betty or not, not Betty. Um, Veronica and Cheryl at the cheerleading competition or mm-hmm. tryouts. I thought that was really a great moment between those actresses. I thought it was well acted. I thought that the delivery of the lines was so good. And I mm-hmm. re- I was totally in that. And I love, I mean, I think the act, Lily Reinhardt, the actress who plays Betty, she does such a good job of being like the other girl. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Ver- like she, Veronica is taking up for her and she's just kind of standing there, but she just does a good job of being the, like, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know the word to describe her, but just the kind of the girl like that stands to the side and lets the other person, she does a good job with that. Yeah. And I, I think that whole scene with all three of those girls is really, um, really good. So I really yeah. like that scene. I agree. And I also like the, like what you said, the ambiguity of the time period. Mm-hmm. I like that there are old cars and they say old timey things, but then yeah. they also have cell phones and uh, they, you know, they talk about millennials and all of this. So you know that it, you, it's just, 
I like that choice to just be ambiguous about it. Mm -hmm. There's some great things too. Like when I think it's at the end when Archie comes into the chocolate shop and is looking for Betty and he asks the owner if he's seen her and he says, no, just only people here are these Nighthawks or whatever. And so there are just these great allusions to like that's to a painting. And I think it's smart to have that in there. So if you notice it, great. It gives you that little zing of recognition and kind of deepens the tone it's building. But if you don't notice it, it's totally fine. Like you don't need that to make sense of the plot. It's just there as this little bonus for someone who might see it. Yes. And I like that with um, Betty, they call, they called her Betty Draper from Mad Men. And I mean, you will, you, you don't have to know that, but it isn't just nice to find those Easter eggs that allude to pop culture, especially when you like pop culture, like we do. So it's fun to look for those. And I actually have something when we do the bet you didn't know that that will allude to pop culture too. Okay. One thing that we didn't talk a ton about was the fact that, that the stars from the 80, from when we were watching mm-hmm. television, a lot, several teen stars show up as parents, which are, makes you feel, me feel old, but also I'm like, there they are. I so say, that's really fun just yeah. to see those familiar faces. Yeah. Like you said, it, it does make me feel a little old that I am old enough now to have children this age which I know in my head, but I don't always feel that way. But yeah, just to see them and the acting there, I think they do a nice job anchoring the show because they are all really solid actors who play their parts well and do a good job sort of sketching out these characters very, very quickly. So like have a sense of who they are and what roles they're playing without having to take tons of screen time. Right. Yes. Well, as soon as I saw Luke Perry in the pilot, I was all in for this uh-huh. because I was a huge Beverly Hills 90210 fan. And I loved when he played Lane Frost in eight seconds. I, I really appreciate him, especially because he has done solid work. Like he's been mm-hmm. a work, he was a working actor for so, you know, and he, he never, he just seems like such a, seemed like such a humble person. Mm-hmm. And I just love Luke Perry. So. And he's a good actor. actor like, yeah you feel what a good dad he is for Archie and yeah. he, there are these moments with them that Archie has done something wrong and he could have reacted in one way and he doesn't, he takes it, he makes it a teachable moment. And because Luke Perry acts that well, like it could have been super cheesy, mm-hmm. but because of his acting, you believe that that is the relationship that they have built. Yes. I love Luke Perry. I know he's so good. <laughs> I, I was a huge really Dylan McKay fan back in the day. Yeah. I had earrings with his face on. <laughs> I was, that's amazing. <laughs> I was, I, that just reminded me, we were telling the boys the other day. So we watched Survivor and there's a person competing in this season who looks like Joey from New Kids on the Block. <laughs> so I, we were trying to educate my boys about New Kids on the Block and pulled up the old video music. Oh video. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That was it. That was a digression. But yeah, I mean, I think, any of those moments, it's just so funny how quickly it all comes back. Like I had the song, I knew every word of the song. I know. And I think like even the chocolate shop gave me peach pit vibes from 90210. Yeah. And oh, I have to feel that that was intentional on some level. Like they know the older audience that they are reaching for and they are really smart in bridging the gap between that teen audience and that adult audience. Yes, I think so too. I mean, I think overall it's a great adaptation and I think mm-hmm. it's does a really good job, like you said, of catering to a pretty broad audience. Yeah. So I agree. 
Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we get to the, to the bet you didn't know? Nope. I'm ready to learn. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> so Cole Sprouse, who played Jughead, originally read for Archie. <laughs> they wanted him for Archie, but he read Jughead's part and wanted Jughead. So, which I think, uh, yeah, I can see why. Yeah. I think that, uh, that fits his, even his, like, just like what he puts out to the public in terms of who he is as a person, like Cole Sprouse does like with interviews and, and, uh, and his social media accounts. I think that mm -hmm. that Jughead makes sense. <laughs> when I think Jughead, I mean, Jughead is not in the first episode very much, but I think this might be a kind of a slam, but I think he's a more interesting character than the Archie character Yeah, for, for me. And maybe that's just the thing I prefer, but I can see why that would be a better part. And I also think that there's, there are some issues with the acting in the Archie role. <laughs> so I think KJ Appa, the actor who plays Archie, he's fine. But I think that some of the other actors are that act with him are stronger. So it makes him, the character seem less compelling, if that makes yeah, sense. I think that's a valid, valid point. Mm -hmm. So for KJ Appa, he isn't a natural redhead. They have to bleach his hair and then dye it red and also his eyebrows, which, wow, that might, his hair doesn't seem like a natural red color in it the show. <laughs> that is, I was going to say that is not altogether shocking to me. Yes. Yeah. So every, this is the one I think you're really going to like, Jen. So every episode of Riverdale is based on a movie and it's not just the title of the episode, but also a nod or hint to what the episode is about. So one of the, one of the articles I read said that if you go, are trying to get spoilers and you read ahead to what the episode titles are, it might give you an idea about what the episode will be. That so that's another very cool. Egg. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the and the movies that they are alluding to are great movies. That's really cool. So the first one is The River's Edge. Episode two is A Touch of Evil. Ooh. So yeah, these are good ones. Body Double. That's cool. That's really cool. Yes, I do <laughs> like that. <laughs> and another one that was that the the Pop Tates chocolate shop set looks mm -hmm. so much is off of a busy intersection and it looks so much like a real chocolate shop that often 18 wheelers will stop like as a pit stop to try to go in and it is just a set oh uh, uh, that's really cool in the first huh. and in the first episode it was an actual restaurant it wasn't a set it was an actual filmed in an actual restaurant and then the last one is about the actor who plays Reggie. The mm -hmm. actor who plays Reggie now is Charles Melton, who was the lead character and the book adaptation of The Sun is Also a Star. He, was, okay. he started in episode two. The actor who played Reggie in season one is Ross Butler, who mm -hmm. also played Zach on 13 reasons why in that oh right yeah so, so did he did he leave riverdale for 13 reasons why that was not they said that he left for other commitments so it wasn't clear if that's what it was but that's and then that they brought charles melton in in season two 
And I, oh, I have one more. Each of the girls, Cheryl, Veronica, and Betty, they each mm-hmm. have a signature lipstick that they wear, and it is they it is tied to their character. So Veronica's is dark, Betty's is like a pinkish, light, glossy mm-hmm. color, and then Cheryl's is red. So yes, it is. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's so, really cool. Yeah. So those are my betcha didn't knows for the Riverdale crew. Yeah. Great research, friends. <laughs> so that is going to conclude our discussion of the pilot of Riverdale. We are really enjoying bringing this television content to you. I know I am. I'm, Jen and I both love to yes. so <laughs> It's been fun to revisit this pilot. Yeah. Yes. So if you want more or if you have suggestions of adaptations that we can recap, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Well, we hope that you enjoyed that discussion of Riverdale. I I still have not seen that series, so I'm hoping to change that because it sounds really great. But we wanted to end today with our Give Me One. And today's Give Me One topic is your favorite thing to do at the beach. Jen, what's your favorite? So I feel like I have two answers, one when I am vacationing with my children and one when I am not. So when I am vacationing with my children at the beach, we have certain traditions. We go with our family. And so there are certain places we love to eat. We go to the Outer Banks a lot. And every year we go to Jockey's Ridge at least once for the sunset. And it's really beautiful. And that's just always a great time for us to remember. When I'm not at the beach with my children, I just like to sit out on the beach all day with a book and just, well, with multiple books and just plow through books. And it is total relaxation. But as anyone with children knows, vacationing with and without your children, those are two very different experiences, which is why I had to say the two different answers. (laughs) Absolutely. Good answers. And yes, I can relate to that. What about you, Sarah? What's a favorite for you? When I go to the beach, I mean, I just love going and like Jen, it's different when I'm with just my husband or with my children in, in tow. But one thing I love to do is I like to get up early and walk on the beach before everyone else is up. I like that quiet time. And I mean, I do that even during summer vacation. I like to get up early and walk by myself when nobody's asking me to do anything. So I enjoy carrying that one to the beach and the ocean being there and getting the breeze and the beautiful scenery is a huge bonus. So that's what I like to, that's one of the things I like to do, but I also like to be with my family. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Ashley? What do you like? So we have lots of opportunity to be at the beach this summer, and that's been really nice, but it's also reminded me of the things I do and don't like about it. And one of the things that I really love is looking for shells. So, and I do find that that is something that is fun with my children as well. So I love to walk on the beach and I could do that or run. I I prefer to run with my tennis shoes on, but I like both of those experiences. But I find that if I'm just walking, then I want to go a long way and my kids get really tired, but they enjoy walking to look for shells and we'll do that and have a lot of fun doing that. So that's been really great. And then another thing I really am enjoying being on the beach more often is that 
my kids love playing in the sand and they will just do that so happily for so long. And so that brings me a lot of joy too. the sand and being all up in it is not my most favorite part of the beach. I am more <laughs> and more aware of that each year that passes, but it's great because they're so happy doing that. And it's really fun to see. Yeah, that's something I miss from when my boys were little. They'll play in the sand for a little while now, but they quickly get bored. And we almost always have a house with a pool. And a lot of times they're just dying to get back to the pool. And yeah, anyway, it's a thing we're working through. That's that's definitely with my daughter will stay out. But my son, the pre well, he's a teenager now and he is just he's never been super into the sand. And now he's just he would rather be in a pool. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that and same here. I mean, that's been a struggle is that we have easy access to a pool and they will want to do that instead because the beach isn't super far. But again, my kids are very small and it's not an easy walk to get there. And so we have to really push to get them to go, even though we're close by. But when they get there, they really enjoy the sand and much more so than the water. You know, they they just want to be in the sand and playing. So. But yeah, I get tired. My, my personal feeling is I used to, when I was younger, I loved all parts of the beach and would even like swim right before I was going to go home. And that all of that was just fine. And I just am not that way anymore. I like to <laughs> take a shower and I like to, <laughs> well, we hope you've enjoyed this discussion and we would love to hear your thoughts. Have you seen Riverdale? We would love for you to let us know and tell us what you thought about the pilot and about the series. And As I said in the beginning, if you're interested in getting more involved with Unabridged, we would love for you to sign up for our our ambassadors program. That is a free program for participants and you get some fun swag and a great community. To sign up, you can just go to unabridgedpod.com slash ambassadors. Thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.